already gotten some very interesting questions and thoughts uh, when it comes to the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And I want you to send those in. If you do have some questions about the significance of honoring that day and and what it's really all about, I would love to hear from you. We had a caller earlier uh, who said he doesn't really understand what the purpose of a day like this is, or a day like Saturday, of course, that we're now honoring today, um, and doesn't really, and feels a little bit threatened with the idea of it and uh, this this premise of of land being taken back. So I'm curious if you have questions, um, I would love to hear them from you. I, I think that uh, probably our next guest would be better suited to answer some of those questions. So now's the time if you want to send them in. Uh, we're going to get into a conversation about honoring the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation um, here um, on this show, on this day, and moving forward. What can we do? What should we be doing? Um, he's the Assistant Professor in the Department of History and Indigenous Studies at Western University and a band member of Six Nations of the Grand River. His areas of expertise include the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, Commemoration and Preservation of Indigenous Cultural Heritage, the 60 Scoop, and the Residential School System. So obviously very equipped to handle questions uh, about this conversation. Cody Grote is joining us. Cody, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a big title. You're coming into this conversation with uh, with a lot that you know, and I think a lot that you can share with our listeners. So let's just start with talking about the purpose, the purpose for National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. What is the ultimate underlying point and purpose of the day? I think that's a really important question, and I was quite interested in the comment you've just read from one of your uh, listeners about not really understanding the purpose and feeling a little bit threatened by it. That's actually really interesting for me to hear. So, you know, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation was a call to action in the final report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada. But the day has been marked within Indigenous communities for quite a while now. It was sort of a centralized day where survivors and intergenerational survivors were able to recognize the forced cultural political assimilation of Indigenous peoples into this very colonial government that we still live in, this very colonial society. And again, the orange shirts are representative of the experiences of one residential school survivor, Phyllis Webstead, who very iconically had her orange shirt taken away from her on her first day of residential school. And it came to symbolize a lot of those much broader conversations Mm -hmm. about what was taken away from Indigenous children. But it's really interesting that it came to us through the final report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, because the TRC itself was created as part of a class action lawsuit. The Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement, recognized as the largest class action lawsuit in Canadian history, it both dealt with some legal aspects of the residential school system while also calling for a national report into the history of the residential school system and recommendations to municipal, provincial, federal governments and other organizations about how they should respond to the information that was heard. I think, you know, is it fair is it fair to kind of say that the history of residential schools, for example, and the treatment of Indigenous people in our country has been something that has been sort of... Um, Sort of, sort of washed away. I mean, I don't remember it being something that was a part of my curriculum when I was in high school or elementary for that matter. Um, so, you know, I think really confronting what happened is something that's really important because maybe not a lot of Canadians were really exposed to this the way that we, we should have been. Now, to me, the, re- the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation is about education, and that's very much, in my opinion, how it should be acknowledged and recognized. And, of course, other people are going to have different opinions. Indigenous peoples don't have uniform opinions about uh, almost any issue at all. But what I 
try to tell people is, you know, share the experiences of my own family. So my grandparents, Stanley and Sarah Grote, were survivors of the Mohawk Institute Residential School. They attended in the 1930s, the 1920s. Uh, They died in the 1980s. Now, my father didn't know anything about the Indian residential school system truly or the experiences of his parents until this post-TRC era when he was in his 70s, when this kind of public discourse came to light, the experiences of students from the Mohawk Institute sort of reached the general consciousness. And again, that's when my own father learned about the experiences of his parents and how it might have shaped their lived experiences as parents themselves and how it impacted his own childhood as the child of residential school survivors. So what I tell people is when they're hearing about the residential school system or some of the atrocities that took place or the intent of the residential school system, they can't just say, I can't act on this. I never knew this before. There were very specific reasons why we didn't know some of this content. There was either suppression of federal records or there was the trauma of residential school survivors and intergenerational survivors who weren't comfortable to share their experiences in a very public setting. So again, you know, lack of education is understandable. There's reasons for it. It happens within Indigenous communities as well as non-Indigenous communities. But this is the opportunity to be able to learn and to then act upon what you've learned and actually call for, advocate for tangible measures to advance reconciliation. How does how does learning about it help us provide some context and maybe some understanding uh, across the board for Canadians as a whole? I think increasingly what we're seeing is the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation is a very good time where we can both discuss what happened in the Indian residential school system, as it's formerly known, the cultural abuse, the displacement of Indigenous people, the attacks towards our cultures, while also pointing out some of the continuities about how we still have structures in this country or systems like the healthcare system or um, educational systems that still belittle or challenge or critique our Indigenous forms of governance, our Indigenous languages, uh, our ways of knowing our governance structures. So what we're seeing now is the opportunity to not just teach about the Indian residential school system, but to show how there are still structural barriers in place that sort of perpetuate or continue some of the themes of the residential school system that are impacting us. And obviously, uh, it doesn't necessarily relate to your listening area in in Alberta, but we do look at what's happening in Manitoba right now, where the provincial election has really entered into this big discourse about whether or not it's an economically advisable idea to search a landfill to find the remains of Indigenous women who have been murdered. And it's really this, the the current government is talking about the financial implications. And, you know, we see a lot of community members today on the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation saying this is a continuation of what we've been trying to bring to light with the residential school system, this way of perceiving Indigenous peoples as a cultural or financial burden and some of the impacts associated with that. So again, education is important, not just to know what happened in the past, but to recognize how the past is continuing to shape action today. And I think confronting the fact that, you know, it really does take generational change. I think a lot of these ideas um, and understandings are something that has been so ingrained into the minds of some Canadians that it's a, it's a real uphill battle. And I think we have to acknowledge that. You know, Cody, I mentioned as, as I was introducing you that our listeners are more than welcome to weigh in and, and share their opinions and certainly their questions because you are far more equipped to answer them uh, than, than I am. Um, and this one, I think, is a, it's a tricky one. Um, um, I'm not going to include this listener's name, but it, it 
it's I think sort of speaking to to what you're talking about. You know, the idea that that people and remains are a financial burden and therefore something that we should maybe ignore. And there's the conversation about entitlement when we have these conversations. This person says. Um, Chelsea, your last caller spelled out the problem, entitlement of all First Nations people. When is enough enough? I, I'm going to keep my opinion out of this one, Cody, but I'd like, if you can, can you address that and that, that attitude, that mindset? Well, you know, as an Indigenous person, as a community member, it's really hard for me to just not shoot down the entire premise of the question as being something that is deeply problematic. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, you know, critique your listener, but I really do feel, uh, again, I'm going to speak to the premise of the question. So I think when we look at, say, reclaiming the ancestral remains, the human remains of our mothers, of our daughters, of our sisters, should not be something that we have to fight tooth and nail to do. It should be the basic, basic human right approach to what's happening. And again, when we look at, we we see critiques here across the country about, you know, throwing money to address these issues. But if we have a majority of Indigenous communities in this country that don't have clean drinking water, in my opinion, it's pathetic. It, it should be a basic need. It's a basic human right. And again, it's it's not so much as, you know, when is enough and is enough. It's getting to the point where we are actually being recognized as people that deserve basic human rights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's frustrating. It's what's embedded in our society now. And again, it's this, this idea that's being perpetuated. But one thing that's so important what we're seeing on this National Day for Truth and Reconciliation this year especially is this entering much broader conversations about political division that is happening across this country. A lot of these issues are becoming, you know, us versus them issues, most of what we're talking about in society right now. And that can be increasingly problematic because instead of using this as a learning opportunity, what we're seeing is divisiveness occur, uh, divides occur, saying you're either on the one side of this issue or you're against this issue. And again, that should not be how we are approaching something such as this. You know, we can have these conversations about what happened in the past, about the structural barriers that led it to be, and then we can use that as an opportunity to learn about what's happening right now. But if you perceive it as sort of an us versus them dialogue, then it's just going to be so much easier to shoot down a day like this as being, you know, something that's, that's virtue signaling is a line that we're seeing a lot these days. I think that, you know, first of all, that's a wonderfully eloquent answer for, I think, a question that obviously ignites a little bit of passion and rightfully so. Um, but I, I think that, you know, more and more Canadians, at least it seems anecdotally to me, Cody, and I'm curious if you agree or not, are are listening a lot more and are a lot more receptive, um, I think, now than in previous years. Are you sensing a little bit of that momentum? I would say so. And again, for every sort of conversation like this, we have to look at sort of, uh, you know, the difference between, let's say, the thousand people, the hundred people, the 50 people who come to a march for truth and reconciliation. That's such an important action that you can take. But then we can also look at, say, the hundred thousand people who don't come to a march, but who still listen to what is being said, mm-hmm. understand the context, and start to make small actions in their day-to-day lives. That's just as important. And I think what we're probably seeing is, uh, you know, very vocal 
elements of either side. But what I think we're seeing more and more is sort of the normalization of this subject, the general acceptance in society as a whole, and perhaps it's not being openly uh, commented on by uh, community members on a day-to-day basis, but that's fine. Again, if you start embedding this in your mindset, understanding the historical trajectory and understanding its contemporary impacts, then in day-to-day lives, we're going to start seeing change. And again, I think that's very different than sort of the proactively for or against. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're right. I mean, I think that those those voices can sometimes feel like they're the loudest, um, but reminding ourselves that they are likely in the minority is really, it's important. Cody, um, five, ten years down the road, um, what do you hope things look like for our Indigenous communities in this country. You know, one thing I'm going to do, and I'm actually going to point out your own language, if that's fine, I always caution against saying, you know, our Indigenous peoples, because again, it kind of gives this sense of ownership, this sense of possession, and it might be very small turn of phrase, but it's something that we're seeing uh, being contested, and I think that is going to speak to one of the biggest uh, changes that we're going to see it 10 years from now. This sort of recognition that Indigenous peoples have and always uh, will be our own political and sovereign entities, but again, within this umbrella of the Canadian nation state. And, you know, I think it's going to be increasingly difficult to find that balance. We live in a world and a society where sort of this concept of dual sovereignties, Indigenous nations within this umbrella of Canada isn't really how we govern in a Western society. But that being said, we're going to be able to have these conversations. It's, it's like we teach any lesson in a school system. We slowly scaffold. So, you know, we kind of had this recognition of Indigenous peoples having political and cultural rights. That entered our dialogue a very long time ago, thankfully. And now we're having this dialogue about the Indian residential school system and it's going to create a foundation to build upon. We're going to have a clear foundation to build upon when we normalize the conversation about boil water advisories and the fact that it's really depriving of a basic human right. And we're going to normalize these conversations about the 60 scoop and how it still impacts the child welfare system to today. So we're going to slowly see these conversations enter the public discourse, be normalized increasingly, and then we can start having these more complex questions about how do we change our system how do we rectify some of the imbalances in place to really get to a point that is more reflective of where it needs to be? Okay, well, Cody, uh, allow me to correct myself then and and take the hour out of that statement. And we're just talking about Indigenous communities and Indigenous peoples uh, here in our country. Thank you so much for your expertise and uh, and for your time this afternoon. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much. Of course. That's Cody Grote, uh, Assistant Professor in the Department of History and Indigenous Studies at Western University and band member of Six Nations of the Grand River.